Um, so I, I've known Adam for about four years. Adam was at Theological College, him and Jess, when they had Jacob. And I knew them down there when we were doing Living Free down there. So we've been walking together for the last four years, which has been so lovely. I love these guys. I was also at school with Jonathan. So uh, he was in the year below me. And, and uh, I, uh, so it's been really nice reconnecting with him the last couple of years. Um, not that I've seen him very much, but we've reconnected. I think I'm doing your leaders weekend next weekend. Is that right? Yeah. Next year. No, yeah, not next weekend. <laughs> yeah. So it's really lovely. And we came up about... Um, how long ago did we come up? We, did, we, we prayed here. What a team of people. I remember sitting behind that pillar, and we prayed for a bunch of people one Saturday morning for doing your DNA. Yeah. How many of you have done the Living Free course, just out of interest? What sort of numbers? Okay. Smashing of you. Brilliant. Right. Um, I told most of my jokes earlier. So I, thought, I thought I'd just start with one. What's the best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Yeah, yes, you do. You get it, you get it, some of you get it in about 30 seconds. Did you hear about the mathematician who's afraid of negative numbers? He'll stop at nothing to avoid them. Okay, this is for you who are computer literate. So half of you is going to... Helvetica and Times New Roman walked into a bar. Get out of here, shouted the bartender. We don't serve your type. <laughs> Yesterday I saw a guy spill all his Scrabble letters on the road. And I asked him, what's the word on the street? Oh, you're a tough crowd. I'm, I'm seriously in trouble. Some of you are going to like that. Some of you are going to laugh. Bear walks into a pub, says, I love a whiskey and a dark Coke. And the bartender said, why the, long, why the big pause? Amen. <laughs> oh, oh, We're going to pray. God, I want to pray this morning that you would speak to us in a way that would be dynamic and real and earthy. Would you stretch us out? I want to thank you for... Anna's word about a bigger space, walls coming down, and a bigger space for this church. So I pray, God, that you would open up the bigger space for this church and stretch her out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm bringing the same word I brought to the early service. I know I'm doing something different tonight. Because I actually think what I'm carrying is a word for you, for you as a church. And I hadn't conferred with Anna about the sense of newness. We hadn't talked about it. Um, so that's, we're quite independent, but it's obviously the Lord. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a, a prayer now. It's going to come up on the, on the screens. This is called the, the Prayer of St. Francis, of, of Francis Drake. Not St. Francis Drake, St. Francis of Assisi. Fra Francis Drake, the, the British sailor. The, the, um, the great armada and all that kind of malarkey. Remember that? Everyone heard of Francis Drake? Some of you are looking really blank at me. I thought you were falling asleep or you just did not go to school at all. Okay, so this, is, this was a prayer he wrote. It's ascribed to him. So I'm going to read it now, and then we're going to pray it together at the end if you want to, because I think it's a really dangerous prayer. Because each verse starts to disturb us. So if you really like... Life as it is, don't pray this. Because it's a kind of 
comes with a government health warning. This is probably going to disturb your life. So the prayer goes like this. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery, where, losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Can you just leave that last verse up just for a moment? Just read, read that just for a moment. Just take a moment and just mull on that and what it's saying. Okay, thank you. Almost all the training you've ever had in your life, school, university, training with your, your business, your company, tertiary education, whatever training, almost all the training you've ever had has been to try and enable you to be more in control. So you know what you're doing and can do it better. Because that's how the world works. The world works on control and knowledge and power. And the kingdom doesn't work like that at all. This is one of the problems that we're all so educated, so well trained, that the danger is we're not much used to heaven because we're operating by a very, very different way of working than God works. So there is this huge unlearning that has to go on in all of us, and on a perpetual basis. Because fallen man wants to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember in the garden? There were two trees. And it's quite a weird story if you think about it, because, like, knowledge. Isn't that good? We're all pursuing knowledge. We all want our degrees and our studies and our education. And, and, and surely knowledge is a good thing. And yet, you had the knowledge of good and evil. And over here you had the tree of life. When Adam and Eve fell, they did not fell because of sex. Or anger. Or murder. Or theft. Or envy. Or greed. It wasn't those things that we all... It wasn't because they were smoking behind the, behind the, the pavilions. Or taking drugs. It wasn't any of the, the stuff that we all get worked up about. It's a much more subtle thing which has infected us all so profoundly in our Western world that we live in. It's the knowledge of good and evil. I have a friend who gets very breathless 
when he experiences the religious spirit. It's a demonic spirit that operates to make religious people think they're pleasing God when they're not. It's what killed Jesus. It's what motivated the Pharisees. Do you know where he gets it most? Christian bookshops. Isn't that interesting? Why might that be? Because everyone's knowledge. This doesn't mean that Christian books are wrong. But often our attitude to them is if I can get knowledge, if I can get more understanding, I can feel more in control of my life, and, and then I'll, it can all happen. As though God would bless your control. But that's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom operates very, very differently. God puts you in situations where you simply don't have the answers. It is better to not have answers than answers. Because then you have to seek God. It's better to feel weak than feel strong. Because then you have to depend on God. It's better to be poor than rich. Because then you need God. That's the Beatitudes. He really meant what he said. And so we're all, in this Western culture we live in, have this real weird mixture of love of the Lord, and yet all these practical ways of living which actually resist God. Which is why it says in Timothy, in the last days there will be terrible things, and he lists off these awful, ungrateful Loves the self, not loves of God. Da, 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 da. And he says, having the form of godliness, but denying its power. And I speak as a, as a Westerner. I speak as, a, we, we, you know, we, I run a church down in Fulham. It's like, wow, Fulham is free of people who love self and love knowledge. No, no, it's very full of people. This, we're all in this boat together. And 80% of spiritual warfare is discerning the enemy. 80% of the enemy's schemes is to hide himself. And so when we begin to talk about these things, it kind of opens up a realm and says, okay, we are all in great danger of relying on our own intellects, our own studies, our own books, our own reading, our own plans, and asking God to bless them. And there's another way of living which is key to the adventure of faith. It's key to the adventure of faith. It means... You're going to feel weaker. Hey, You're going to feel more powerless. You're going to be not know the answers to things. You're going to be dependent on another person called the Lord. And you're going to be out of control in the sense of it won't be down to you. And you will have a vision for things that you can't possibly attain by your own effort. Who wants to sign up for that? Goes against everything. Our flesh goes, no, I don't want that. That's like disaster. But it's the way of the kingdom. It's absolutely the way of the kingdom. When Jesus sent out the 72 to go and heal the sick, drive out demons, cleanse lepers, and preach the gospel, which is at the heart of the gospel, that's not for the keenies. It's not for the people under 25. That's for all of us. That, that, that is like front and center gospel living. Healing the sick, driving out demons, cleansing lepers and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is God's presence and power. This is central. It's a central thread. It's not a side issue. It's absolutely impossible. They were fishermen, tax collectors. They're not trained in this. 
None of them were trained in this. They, they learned alongside Jesus, who was brilliant at it because he was totally weak, totally dependent, totally reliant on the voice of the Holy Spirit, and totally obedient. He was the most weak, most dependent, most uncertain person who's ever lived. By uncertain, I mean he did not know how to heal people. He was reliant on the Holy Spirit with this one, and this one, and this one. Every point of time, he was going, what do I do? What do I do? So I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only speak the words the Father gives me to speak. He was so conscious that he was independent on the Spirit that he did nothing in his own right, or absolutely dependent. And he invites us into an adventure to live like that. Which is, as you can see, is radically different concept or idea than turning up at church. Where we can be great with, be very, I can be really nice to people for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. So can you. It's like, and how do I live? How, what am I doing? And, and how am I living this adventurous life? And that's what Francis Drake was, was alluding to when he prayed. Sir Francis Drake, not St. Francis Drake. Disturb us, Lord. When our dreams have come true, because we dream too little, what sort of dreams are, do you have? Are they bigger than family and relationships and homes and money? What's your dream for Leamington? What's your dream for the city? What's your dream for England? What's your dream the people at work, what's your dream that you cannot attain by being a nice person? Something else has got to break in. God's got to break in. Dare, disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas. I'll tell you a story about a man called Blondin. His, 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 his original name was um, Jean-Francois Gravelet. And he was a trapeze artist. He was a tightrope walker. And in the late 1800s, he became world famous because he strung a steel cable across the Niagara Falls. It's about 250 meters. And at such a long distance, the cable would come like this and up. And it was fixed with steel cables to hold it in place because otherwise it would have swung too wildly. And he would walk across this this. Uh, the, this tight, tight rope, type steel rope, uh, and to world acclaim. I mean, thousands thousand upon thousands upon thousands came and watched him. And there would be bookies and there'd be bets. And, there would be, and it, uh, I believe Victoria, Queen Victoria, actually went to see him um, at Niagara Falls. And he would do, he'd go over hands, he'd walk on his hands. He went over on a bicycle once. He, put, he would put his manager in a wheelbarrow and take him across the Niagara Falls to wild acclaim, to cheers and shouts and, and betting. And then there's this one time, which is a very famous incident, where he was coming down the hill, down, down the slope, got to the bottom with his manager in the wheelbarrow. True story. Somebody who had obviously put a large bet on him falling cut one of the guide ropes. And it began to sway and swing like this. Realizing that he was not going to survive if he tried to walk it, he just began to run with the guy in the wheelbarrow up the slope, and they got over the top, and he survived. They all survived. 
Well, the crowd, you can imagine, it went absolutely wild, cheering and clapping and shouting. And when there's this one guy who's standing near Gravelet, Blondin, which is his stage name, Blondin, and he's like, Blondin, you're the greatest. Blondin, you're the most amazing. Blondin, you're the greatest tightrope walker who's ever lived. You can do anything. And Blondin looked at him and said, do you believe that? He said, oh, yes, it's true. He said, get in the wheelbarrow. Which wheelbarrow are you in? Are you in a wheelbarrow? Can Jesus do anything? Is nothing impossible for God? Are you in the wheelbarrow? And what's the wheelbarrow look like? I'd want to suggest what happens to us is often we get saved. I got saved on December the 7th, 1980 in a coffee shop in the city of London. Um, and my life was absolutely turned around radically there and then. Other people have different stories of how they've come to know the Lord. And then what happens, you have, these, you have two or three years when you're just excited, it's honeymoon, and you do anything for Jesus, ridiculous amounts of money away, and do stupid things, and, and you're crazy, and, and maybe you never went through a phase like that. I don't know. I hope you did. But then what tends to happen is, you settle down and become a sensible Christian. There was young, there's young thing. Oh, they'll learn. There's things like that. Let's all be a bit. Let's let's keep it sane and sensible. Let's be too radical. And what happens is we just everything begins to become very ordered. And effectively, we're like the people on the side of the of the uh, of the of the Niagara Falls, going, "Yay, Jesus, you're amazing! Look what they're doing in Africa! Amazing!" Look what they're doing in China. Isn't it amazing? And Lord says, do you want to get in the wheelbarrow here? Because he's still the God of the UK and he ain't forgiven, forgotten us. But what's your wheelbarrow? I can't get in your wheelbarrow and you can't get in mine. It's yours. It's your walk with God. And the call on your life and the vision he has for your life. But it's got to be a vision you simply can't attain. The guy in the wheelbarrow cannot get across on his own. It's up to Blondin to take him. The vision God has for your life, you cannot attain. You can't heal the sick, and you can't raise the dead, and you can't bring people to know the Lord. Some of your parents, some of your grandparents, what's your vision for your children, your grandchildren? It's a vision God has for them that you can't make happen, no matter how good your parenting. It's what you pray in the Spirit, how God shows you, and what you're prophetically declaring over your kids. See, prophecy doesn't just encourage people, though it does. It actually speaks things into being. Things happen when prophecy is released because it's connected to the Word of the Lord, which will not return to him empty. So when Ezekiel has the vision of the valley of dry bones... And he says, all these bones, and God says, can these bones live? He says, I don't, I don't know, Lord, you know. And God says to him, Ezekiel, you prophesy to the bones. And it's only when Ezekiel's word is released that the bones come together and breath enters them, and they become a mighty army. It's in your mouth, it's in your word, it's in your prayer that things are released. Your children and your grandchildren, your friends and your life, it's you catching a vision for what God is saying over them and speaking out his word, 
releases the power of the Spirit to go do the work. God is waiting on us to release His Word because He's given us authority in the Spirit. Otherwise, authority means nothing. If God does all the work and we just go, Yay, God, aren't you amazing? That's not the God of the Scriptures. We, we move into this divine human cooperative. We've got to work with God. He's given us authority in the Spirit. We're seated with Him in heavenly places. We have His Spirit in us and His Word on our lips. And when we release His words by faith, they move in power. So many examples of it in Scripture. If you've done living free, you'll have been taught that we do the binding and we do the loosing. Whatever you bind shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose shall be loosed in heaven. We, do the, we have the authority to release things in the Spirit. And this is one of the most profound things we need to begin to get a hold of if you're going to live a supernatural life that, that, that pushes the, the, the walls out or has a bigger expanse. We start moving in things that you can't do on your own. But we have a problem. One of our problems is that we're Anglicans. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not anti-Anglican some of the time. Here's our problem. I'm, I run a Church of England church. You have a building. You have chairs. You have structure and rotors and organization. And these things create a form of order, structure, and institution. Institutions are not known for being radical or getting in wheelbarrows because everything is structured. The odd entrepreneur on the side, and as long as they behave well, it's okay. Probably call them evangelists or something like that. But actually, we're all called to this adventurous lifestyle. I felt God say to me to, to come to you today and say, God is inviting St. Paul's into an adventure. I saw a travel agent window with a, 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 a picture of a holiday on it, like a, like a sort of, not a holiday on a beach, a holiday, an adventurous holiday, four by fours and all that kind of stuff. And it said for a limited time only. It was an offer for a limited time only. And he's inviting you to adventure of faith, to get in some kind of a wheelbarrow that's going to cast you away from the safety of the crowds and go on an adventure with Jesus to see something happen. I believe it's got to be prophetic because the only way you can move in any supernatural dimension as a people, as a church, is if you are training in the prophetic because you're learning to listen to God's voice, hear his voice, move in it, learn to watch and discern in the spirit what's going on. These things are really important. They're kind of foundational trainings And when I was praying about this, I kept seeing a coracle. Do you know what a coracle is? How many of you know what a coracle is? It's one of those little boats, which are circular, little round boats, like a sort of you know, half, a half of a sphere. And the, you'd sit inside, and you'd have a little mast with a little sail. And when I saw this, I knew what God was saying to me about it for you. It, it was this. 
that the Celtic church under Patrick and Breeder and the great heroes of faith who took the gospel in the, in the late 400s, they took the gospel up through Ireland. In 30 years, all of Ireland was saved from being a completely pagan nation because they would go into the villages and they would pray for the sick and they would raise the dead and they would display the kingdom with signs and wonders and then they would disciple the, the village that gets saved and then they would move on to the next village. This is how they saved where Ireland in 30 years in the late 400s. They were extraordinary, brave, courageous men and women of the spirit under Patrick and this, and this extraordinary prophetic lady called Breda. And then they went up and came into Scotland. And they came down through Scotland. So Iona was one of the landing pads. Then they came down through Scotland into England, down through England into Wales, and then down from Wales and England into Europe, almost as far as the Pyrenees, in 250 years of continuous revival. 250 years of continuous revival that saved a nation. It is the most incredible story. And if you've never connected with that story and you think Celtic church, you think slightly new age, it's all about geese, that's not what it's about. There's a very, very good book called The, Evangel the, the Evangelism of the Celtic Church. If you want to study and to go read a book, it's absolutely fascinating and, and amazing at the same time. Incredible story. But one of the things that represents the kind of spirit they brought to it was the coracle. They would literally get two or three guys would get in a coracle, this flimsy little boat, and they would be pushed out into the sea. And wherever it ended up, they'd preach the gospel. What sort of heart, what sort of mind would we have to have to be willing to do something like that? Do you think they didn't have homes or families? or trades, or jobs. They weren't paid. These aren't clergy who are paid. It's not their professionals. Don't try those home kids. It's not that. But that's the spirit that lay behind the Celtic church that enabled God to fire 250 years of revival. Absolutely incredible. And could it be that... Western Christians in Leamington Spa in the late 2010s, 2019, Western Christians in Fulham and Birmingham and Manchester and Liverpool and all over. Could we, why, same God, same spirit, same longings. And I think for us as Anglicans, to recover adventure is an enormously important issue because most people are bored in church. Just about do an hour and a half a week. But don't make an hour and 45 where I'm going to complain and send an email to, to, the, to the vicar. You know, because you ran over time today, vicar. Well, what the heck is time? Except familiarity and control. It's like kingdom, not church. And this rattles our cage. And it should. Now, it's, very, it's hard to preach this sort of message without flipping into condemnation. You bad people. That's not the heart of this at all. 
It's an adventure. You know, if someone came and said, I've got an invite to an adventure holiday in Swaziland or South Africa or something, and we you know four by fours, and then we're going to go. On. Most, lots of people, not everyone, would say, Wow, well, I think everyone would say, What a lovely offer. Thank you very much. Rather than, That's not very nice of you. You should keep your offers to yourself. I'm strictly a, a B&B guy myself. You know, <laughs> because God loves you. God loves you. I want to read you a quote. It's by C.S. Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex ambition and church services, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. I think hang around church for very long and you forget what the offer of the holiday by the sea is and you may do with making mud pies in church. And we can always look at the non-Christians and go, well, you know, God offers you infinite joy and infinite pleasure and, and, and yet we've, we've, we've kind of settled ourselves for something far less than this adventurous, exciting, challenging, demand everything of you kind of journey that the disciples went on. We give up everything. God is inviting us, and I include myself, my church, and you, because I think we're all in the same boat or coracle, if you will, onto this journey. Now, I want to read to you just a little bit here from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, because you really can't open your Bible and look at how God deals with anyone without realizing everyone goes on a journey. Let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. How many know you can't go on a, on a journey without going? There's two parts. There is the going and there is the leaving. The Lord will have a vision for you to go on a journey. He may just show you the next step. You may want to know the next 20 steps, but he may show you the next. Take it. He's taking you on a journey. But it will almost always mean you've got to leave something behind that you have treasured, valued, made you safe, made you comfortable, made you loved, made you secure. It doesn't have to be that you give up all your income, and I'm not suggesting that. Some people are called to that. But we're all called to things like leaving people's approval. Wanting people to like us. Wanting people to think we're sane and sensible. You read this book, people who follow Jesus are not, who have got hold of God, invariably live a very, not very sane or sensible life. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Suddenly, Abraham is out of control. If this is the journey, God's in control. God's leading him. God's taking him, and God's going to show him. He doesn't get to do what I did this morning, which is set the sat-nav to St. Paul's Leamington from Fulham and know exactly how I'm going to get there. It's an unfolding revelation to him. It will be to you. 
but there will be some hallmarks to it, which is that you can't do it. It's not in your power. It'll be utterly dependent on God. And it's going to be the most exciting ride of your life because you were made for it. Because you're spirit men and spirit women. We're like thoroughbreds in stables. You need to run. God wants you to run. It's in your new nature in Christ to run in the spirit. That's where the money is. That's where the excitement is. That's where the joy is. That's what it means by a holiday by the sea, not making mud pies. And it's a bit of a shock to realize that maybe having a home group is like making mud pies. Being all welcoming here might be like making mud pies. It's not wrong. But what if it's not your season? What if Abraham God, you know, God, I'm sorry, I, I've got a home group right now. I've got this ministry I'm doing. Uh, sorry, nice idea, but I'm kind of sorted, thanks. Now, I love home groups. I've got no problem with that. But what happens is, can you hear what I'm trying to say? We get these places where we settle when there's more, and the good is the enemy of God, and we miss it. I could preach this, and my church would be absolutely relevant and true. I could preach this in any church in the world, it would be relevant and true, because we all are tempted by the same issues to settle, especially once kids come. We soon have been to settle. And then grandkids come, and then we, we have justification for being settled. But Abraham was older than anybody in this church when he heard, first heard that call. So let no one say, well, I'm too old to go on a journey. Because he did. And it says of Caleb, as in Caleb and Joshua, that at the age of 80, Caleb was more ready to go to war than he was at 40. So the idea in Scripture that we have retirement I know it's a really corny phrase, but it's not retirement for Christians. It's refirement. God wants to refire you, not retire you. What's your vision for the next 10 or 15 years if you're 60, 70, 80? If you're younger, you're more on the, on the, on the getting going in life and jobs. And What's God's vision for you? It's got to be beyond your ability to make happen. Now that may come in the form of a secretary, or a doctor, or an engineer, or someone who works at Jaguar. I don't know. But there's going to be something in it which you can't possibly do, but it'll happen because of God and you working together. So, when Jesus is in Nazareth, He's, he opens up, the, the, well, actually the scripture handed to him, says, and, and, he, and it's that passage where it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, release the oppressed, recover your sight to the blind, set the captives free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of God is within you, for you, but is upon you for others. You are anointed to. That means moving beyond the safe zone. Moving into what He has for you. And that's where the joy is. That's where the thrill is. That's where the thrill of the Spirit awakens your soul. And you see God come through in ways you could never have done unless you got in that wheelbarrow 
and said, okay, Jesus, let's go. I'm relinquishing control. I'm relinquishing certainty, but I know that you're good. Let's go. Let's get the adventure back. So, what we're going to do is we're going to put that prayer up again. Hmm? And it's really up to you whether you pray it or not. It would come with a heavenly health warning that this prayer could seriously affect your life in a wonderful way. And if you want to pray it, I mean, we invite all of us to stand, but pray it only with, with your mouth open. Don't you pray it aloud if you mean it. But I don't want to do it like stand up some of you, because then it just like makes people feel odd if they're not standing. I don't want you to feel left out or anything like that. But don't pray if you don't mean it. Because it's quite a serious prayer. And an amazing prayer. But I would just say, do you dare to take God at his word? I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And this is where we, the fullness of life is experienced in the adventure of faith, not in the safety of church. So let's all stand. So we'll take it nice and slow, and then at the end we'll take a little bit of time and just welcome the Holy Spirit to come and release His anointing down into our hearts and theirs in the place where we've prayed. So let's pray this together. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery, where, losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Now, with your face turned up to heaven, and I encourage you to hold your hands out in a position of receiving. Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, you're present. You're amongst us. We don't ask you to come because you're already here before we even arrive today. We ask you to anoint and empower and release light. And in that old-fashioned word, we ask you to quicken us. Quicken us with life. Ruin us for the ordinary and take us into the adventure of faith, whatever it looks like. But thank you that you know.
We know the end of the story of Abraham. God did take him with all his mistakes. God did protect him. God did give him a child. And his children were the countless as the sand of the seashore and the stars and the skies. We have the story that God is faithful. He is trustworthy. And any adventure he takes you on, he's going to be right with you to see it through. And so we say, yes, Lord. Just in your heart to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Take control. Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, into the deep hearts of your sons and daughters and lead us, lead us, oh God, lead us. And I bless the men here today. I just want to particularly pray over you men. Call the men here to an adventure of authority and anointing to protect and to lead and to guide and to guard and to watch and to rise up in the Spirit. I speak over the men. Let your spirit awake and rise up into full manhood. There are dragons to be slain and there is war to be done. And I call the man awake with sword and shield. In Jesus' name, amen.